Well, go ahead and take your Bibles and uh, open up to the book of Malachi. Malachi chapter 2. And uh, this is going to be the next, uh, next talk in our series, Walking Through This Book of Malachi. And um, I, don't know, I don't know how many of you have uh, been challenged by this already. This has been a really intense book to study through, uh, mostly because it's one of those books that we often don't take the time to really study or even read. And uh, I want to encourage you as a church body, if you haven't been doing this, take the time each week and read through the whole book of Malachi, okay? Read through this because it's going to resonate with you so much more if you have taken the time to go, man, I value the Word of God, I value what it is saying, I value these things, okay? And so make that, make that a priority. Make that a priority. Um... We're going we're gonna to start specifically in verse 10, okay? Verse 10 this morning, and we're going to read through verse 16. It says, Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another? Profaning the covenant of our fathers. Judah has been faithless. An abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem, for Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendants of the man who does this, who brings any offering to the Lord of hosts. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears and with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it, with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been, what is the word, church? Faithless. Everyone say faithless. Though she is your companion and your wife by covenant, did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be, what is the word? Everyone say faithless. To the wife of your youth, for the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be, what's the word? Faithless. Heavenly Father, as we take a look at this text this morning, I pray that you would give us the ability to understand clearly, to hear your word truthfully and honestly, or that you would give me the words to speak uh, clearly, and Father, that you would be glorified above all else as we look specifically at this issue of faithlessness in our text today. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we read through that text, it should have become really apparent what the main word used throughout this section and this rebuke is. And what was it? Faithless. Everyone say faithless. Okay, this is, this is a focal point. And any time we read through Scripture and we see a word that's repeated over and over and over again, it's probably a good idea that we pay attention. And we go, hey, this is, this is a, a major focal point here. There's something about this. 
There's something about this that I should take note of and seek to understand better. Now, this past week, um, in thinking about faithlessness, the opposite of that would be faithfulness. Faithfulness. And we talk about that a lot. We say that word a lot, especially in church culture, where we would say, oh, God is faithful, and I'm thankful for His faithfulness, and uh, well, you need to be faithful in your marriage. And yet, many of us don't stop to consider, one, what does it mean to be faithful? Two, what would it look like for me to be faithless? And it's dangerous, church, if we don't understand what that might look like for us to do the opposite of what we're called to do, because then our tendency to do it is a lot higher. Okay? Now, as I was trying to think of a practical example of this, uh, I was watching this past weekend, my family and I traveled down and spent some time uh, with my sister and her kids, and we went to the St. Louis Zoo. How many of you guys have been to the St. Louis Zoo down there? Okay, it's massive. It's a massive zoo. And it was so hot. It was 95 degrees down there. So the penguin house was the place to be. It was 45 degrees in there. And we took our merry sweet time walking through there. Anyway, the thing I observed as I was watching our kids, and of course my daughter being the oldest of this group of kids, being five, As I watched them, they went from place to place to place. And there's all these windows and all that's happening. But you know what I observed taking place is that they would walk up to one of these windows and they might last 10 seconds. And then they were on to the next one. Okay? And even even in the instance where they didn't see anything in there, they lasted about 10 seconds. Oh, it's not in here. Well, it was. They just didn't really take the time to look long enough to see it. And in other instances, they might have stayed a little bit longer because, oh, this one looks, this one's cool. This one, I, I like to talk about this, and I, now I've got to show them because I saw it. And, but then they, they were on to the next thing. And as I thought about this, uh, driving home this last week, and I thought, my goodness, isn't this such a... Interesting similarity in picture to how we view faithfulness. What do you mean? Well, what I mean is that when it comes to something like being faithful, we often have limitations or we have standards that are set in place or expectations where we go, I'm going to be faithful up to a point, but at that point I'm going to turn, I'm going to do my own thing, or I'm going to shift gears and do something else. And while my kids in that moment are going, well, yeah, this is fun. This is a good time. We could ask the question, are you really absorbing all that could happen or take place if you took the time to really sit and be present and focus? Now, that's a somewhat weak illustration in comparison to what we have here in Scripture. But it gives you this image picture and what you may realize in your own life and as we approach this text is that we have a tendency to approach life and the circumstances we face in life much the same way my kids approach to the zoo. I'm in it. I'm in it while it's got something for me or it's exciting or it's new or it's fresh or something. But as soon as I'm done, I'm out of here. I'm done. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to do it from my perspective. And so this morning, our big idea in this text, so if you get nothing out of this passage today, this is what I want you to grasp, okay? The big idea, faithlessness in relation 
to others becomes the norm when faithfulness to myself becomes the priority. Faithlessness in relation to others becomes the norm when faithfulness to myself becomes the priority. Now, as we open up and we look at this text in Malachi, we know from the previous couple weeks, just to catch you up, especially if you're joining us for the first time, Malachi is a prophet designated by God to speak God's words to the nation of Israel. Everyone say Israel. Okay, this is the recipients of what is being spoken. It's really important for you to grasp that because it's a totally different time and period from what we're in today. And as I've said before, and I will continue saying over and over, we have to understand who this is being written to before we start applying it to ourselves. Otherwise, we run the risk of misinterpretation and skewing this all over the place, which unfortunately happens a lot. But Malachi is writing, and what's taking place is God has established all of these covenant promises with his people group. And we go back all the way to Genesis, and you see that happen between God and Adam. And then it continues, this pattern. You see God make those promises with Noah. You see God make those promises with Abraham. You see God make those promises with Moses. God continually is faithful to keep those and to walk faithfully with his people. The other side of the coin, though, is that his people are perpetually bad at following through and maintaining a faithful relationship with God. And that's what we see taking place here. And Malachi is calling out these things specifically in how the people are cutting the cutting corners when it comes to sacrifices. The priests are not upholding what they've been called to do. And we see that in the first part of chapter two, where God is rebuking the priests and saying, you guys are responsible for this. And there's going to be curses on what you're seeking to bless, because this is not about me. It's about you. And so now we follow that theme and we come to this place here where we identify really two issues. And we're going to cover those two issues as Malachi brings up here. And the first one of those in verse 10 that we see is an issue of relationship with others, with the community around them. Verse 10 says, have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why then are you, what's the word? Faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers. Now understand here, the faithfulness of the nation of Israel is rooted in the covenant promises that have been talked about previously. The nation of Israel here is no stranger to what God has promised them, the covenant that God had made. It was the foundational building block upon which everything else comes out of. Every law, every regulation, every motivation of that was rooted in what God said, I am going to be faithful to you as my people. Now, we function much the same in our current culture, whether you recognize it or not. We promise our children we'll take care of them. And be there for them. We make an oath to our spouse to remain with them. We make contractual agreements with our work so that we're assured a job and payment for that job. But the reality is that oftentimes the covenants that we're about here on, in, in our culture currently, they're, they're really covenants about me. For my benefit, for my welfare, for what I want to see take place. And in this setting, God had made a covenant with his people because this was intended to bring God the most glory. 
These covenants were meant to literally bind Israel together under the umbrella that they served a God who could bring them through anything. Every rule, every law, every command was designed so that individually and therefore collectively Israel would glorify Jehovah God. So I want you to understand that from the perspective that you have a whole nation of people under the authority of God's law, God's rule, God's commands, the unifying, the overarching, joining picture here is one that God has established and the people now have a choice. Are we going to walk in faithfulness to what God has called, commanded us to? Or are we going to do our own thing? Now the cool thing is, God gives three specific reasons to Israel here as to why they're called to faithfulness with each other. Two of them are in the very first part of verse 10. First one, in relation to Israel, you all have one father. Have we not all one father? Second one, has not one God created us? Now, In asking those questions, it's a rhetorical question. The people are supposed to know the answer to those questions. And the answer is what? Yeah, yes. Uh, Everyone say yes. Okay? God was not asking those to test to see if they knew. He knew they knew because he had established a covenant with them that said this is the case. And yet, by the, the third thing within the midst of this, if you look at the next half of that verse, why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? In other words, a third reason in the midst of that is not only that Israel had one father, one creator, but that faithlessness amongst the people profaned the very covenant that God had established with their ancestors. Every rule broken, every corner cut, Every step taken by the nation of Israel to say, hey, we're going to make this easier on ourselves. We're going to do this our way. Not only damage to the covenant relationship that the nation of Israel had with God. It damaged that umbrella that was meant to encompass and secure the community around them. All of a sudden you have people who are doing their own thing and... Uh, so-and-so says you could cut this corner and there's no harm or foul. And is so-and-so over here is doing it their own way. And do you, do you start to see the correlation here, church? Now, if we turn the tables and we start thinking along the same lines currently today in our culture, in our present, all of a sudden you would start to realize that in the new covenant that God made through Christ, the covenant that says if you believe in the name of Jesus... To be saved, you receive eternal life. That should be the binding force that holds us together. That means that it doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter who you are, what your personality is, what you like or dislike. It doesn't matter any of those things because we all have one common reality going, we are all in desperate need of a Savior. There is no one person sitting next to you, around you, that is not in need of a Savior. Therefore, there should be a common theme amongst us that goes, Praise God! 
that I have a Savior, you have a Savior, and we gather together in corporate worship like this, not to gratify our own needs, but to remind ourselves that we're not alone. We're not alone in this. And yet, I want to give you current reasons that we give for being faithless to each other. Okay? And there's more than this, but these are just a few as I was preparing this week that I was convicted of. First one, my personal happiness is more important than someone else's pain. Now, I'll say this is often indirectly stated by how we respond to people. Often indirectly by avoiding, quote-unquote, problem people. And by avoiding that, avoiding those people, avoiding those situations, we, in essence, say that my personal happiness or comfort is more important than someone else's pain. Another thing that we say, what I have to offer others is not enough to solve their problems. So we say that and then we just don't do anything. We just sit and we just be. And that's it. When in reality, in going back to what we just talked about, we should go, man, I needed Christ. They need Christ. It's not about what I have to offer them. It's everything to do with what God has already offered all of us. And so I'm committed to this. And I'm committed to the community of people around me. And I know that even though I don't have anything that I can tangibly offer myself, I know a God who does. Another thing that we state... This person needs someone who can invest more time into them than I can offer. Now, this is a classic case of not being able to establish healthy boundaries. Okay? Because we have this picture in our mind that for me to care, for me to invest, for me to pour into someone else's life, I'm going to have to invest tons and tons and tons and tons of time. When in reality, sometimes all you need to do is pick up the phone. And make a call and say, hey, you came to mind. Can I pray with you today? I'm just thinking about you. And you might ask, well, why is that significant? It's significant because it's you stating, hey, we have this common theme in our lives that says we both need a Savior. And so when I think of you, I'm going to send you a text message. I'm going to send you a message on Facebook. I'm going to pick up the phone and call you just to, to remind you that you're not in this alone. And to motivate you even further to become more like Jesus. Now, at the foundation of this, the question could be asked, what's the real reason that we're faithless to each other? That we give these excuses, and it comes down to this. Being faithful to myself is my priority. Being faithful to my time, myself, my to-do list, my things, me, me, mine, what I want, is my priority. And when myself is my priority, everything else gets shoved to the side, including God. All of Israel was united under the promises and covenants of God at this time. By profaning those promises and those covenants, they all suffered as a result. 
They all suffered. But it wasn't just relationship with others. There's, uh, God gets way more specific on one major issue here as well. It's the second one being relationship by marriage. And he spends significant time in the rest of this text, starting in verse 11. Judah has been faithless. Everyone say faithless. And abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendants of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. Now, this is a concept that's talked about numerous times throughout the Old Testament. And God specifically warns his people over and over and over again, do not marry wives of other nations. Now, I want to highlight an issue that has come about much across our current culture and society, and even in the church, where people look at that and go, man, what is, what is with this? Is God a racist? Because that's sure what it looks like. He, he's focusing specifically on the nation of Israel. And all these other nations saying, Israel, you can't do this. You, you can't marry these women of other nations. Don't do that. And I, I just want to come, come out right out and say, this, this is not a racial issue. Okay, Turn to your neighbor and say, this is not a racial issue. Okay, This is important. Now... Many people confuse God's command to not marry people of foreign nations to be some way for God to eliminate other races of people. This is, a re- this is one of several reasons that many people struggle with the Old Testament. And yet, we have multiple examples in Scripture where individuals were welcomed in and counted as part of the people of Israel. And not only were they mentioned... In these other places of Scripture, in Matthew chapter 1, there are two individuals that are not, by birth, Israelites, who are mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. One being Rahab, the Canaanite prostitute who has survived the collapse of the walls of Jericho. And the other being Ruth, the Moabite, who gave up everything. She gave up her nation. She gave up foreign gods to follow her mother-in-law, Naomi, to become a part of her nation and faithful to Naomi's God. So you cannot look at the rest of those things and go, man, this is a racial issue. This is a spiritual issue. Everyone say it's spiritual. And this lines up exactly in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians 6 when Paul writes that a follower of Christ is not to be unequally yoked. They're not to be bound with another unbeliever, someone who's not at the same place, the same worshiping the same God. This is an important aspect of this. And it goes back to God's covenant promises with his people. In fact, if you glance over briefly at verse 15, when he says, Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. In other words, God is seeking a generational pattern of people who are committed to faith in Christ 
faith to God, covenant, that covenant relationship here in the Old Testament, and saying, if you bring in people into your home and you establish a covenant of marriage with this person, do you really believe that for generations to come, your family is going to follow after God? And the nation of Israel didn't seem to have a problem with this. God, surprise, surprise, God knew better than, than humanity did, okay? And we see this happen over and over and over again where people who God called to lead and to serve and to do were completely destroyed because they disobeyed this one thing. Look at verse 13. And I have to admit that when I read this the first time, I laughed. And yet, we do the same thing. It says, in this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because He no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does He not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been, what's the word? Faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. And so here is the nation of Israel who has had specific commands. And these weren't just spoken commands, church. These were all written down. They were taught consistently, okay? The people had access to know what God commanded. Now, obviously, going back to the beginning of verse 2, the priests weren't doing a very good job of keeping those themselves, and so there was a breakdown. But ultimately, this was not a foreign thing. For years prior, they had seen the fallout of what happens when they commit to marrying women of other nations, other gods, women who worshipped other gods in the sin. This was, a, this was a big issue. And yet, they stand before God in His presence, and they go, Why? Why isn't he accepting my offering? Why isn't he blessing my family and my home? And we read something like that. We go, it's really clear. Don't you get it? And then we have to take a look at ourselves. Why why isn't God blessing my relationship? Why, Why is this all falling apart? And we start reading Scripture, if, if we're reading Scripture. And we go, well, wait a minute. This is me. I do this. The reality is, church, that we're just as guilty at profaning what God intended to be holy because myself is more important. Now, in the same way, I want to give you reasons that our current culture gives for being faithless, specifically to their spouse, because this is focused on marriage. Okay? And the profaning of this goes beyond that, but as a practical application for you, I want, I, while we're thinking about this, I want us to delve into this. Reasons that our current culture gives for being faithless to their spouse. 
Number one, I fell out of love with this person. Unfortunately, I hear that a lot. We loved each other and then we didn't. I don't know what happened. I just have to say, you, you either love someone or you don't. And God, God has modeled that. And, and I want us to consider looking at God's relationship with Israel and going, what would it look like? How would my marriage be different if I function in my marriage the same way God function towards his people. Now that that's really kind of an intense example, but yet in Ephesians 5 it tells us really clearly that guys you're supposed to love your wives as Christ loved the church. So that that's modeling what God has already modeled, okay? And some of you here today are in situations where you need to hear that it's not about Falling out of love with someone, it's about you choosing to love someone unconditionally and saying, I'm in this. I'm going to be faithful. I heard a, a quote recently in thinking about this. We often take the approach, and I have to think that in some way this, the grass is greener mentality kind of played into what was going on in Israel, where they come into these nations, and these guys were looking around, and they're going, man, these women of other nations are pretty good looking. And I, you know what? I'm just going to divorce the wife of my youth and I'm going to I'm going to head over here. And uh there's actually uh Larry Osborne who I sat in a conference with recently who said the grass is greener is often painted concrete. And that's true in a lot of situations. Okay? But it should ultimately come back to this reality of saying, where is my level of commitment at? Okay? I fell out of love with a person is a pretty terrible excuse for profaning what God sees as holy. Secondly, God just wants me to be happy and I'm not happy. Now, I'm going to say that again. And you guys should all know the response to that. So reason that our current culture gives for being faithless. God just wants me to be happy. There we go. And yet, it too comes back to this reality that my focus is more on myself. Thirdly, they just aren't fulfilling my needs. And can I just encourage you that there's a big difference between needs and expectations? They're two very different things. God calls us to be faithful. And when we get down to it, the real reason that Israel in this context and even ourselves are faithless towards our spouse is because being faithful to myself is my priority. Being faithful to myself is my priority. And church, this is, this is something that none of us are exempt from at all. Even if you feel like things are going well, things are really doing good in life right now. Paul's exhortation says, you who think you stand, take heed lest you fall. 
this, this is a really important thing for us to think about. Look at verse 15 once more. Did he not make them one? Everyone say one. With a portion of the Spirit in their union. And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit. And let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garments with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Church, this is a really powerful rebuke to us. Not only for those of us who are married currently, those who have been married for a long time, those who have been married a little bit, Maybe some of you are experiencing a season of life where you've lost a spouse. And you're going, what, what, what's in store for me now? Can I just encourage you that this, these truths need to be modeled and taught across all generations? And that until God takes you off this earth, you have an opportunity to instill those into your kids, your grandkids, your co-workers, your peers... You're surrounded by people who need to know these truths. Don't hold back from that. Don't convince yourself or buy into the lie that God can't use you to further these things just because of a season of life that you're in. And so in closing to this, what, how would we apply this? What is the application in the midst of this? And the reality is it comes right out in verse 16 at the end of that and states really clearly a couple times, so guard yourselves in your spirit. The core of your being, guard yourselves. Do not be faithless. And so I'm going to encourage you with, with one application point today, okay? As we think about this main concept, really that when myself becomes a priority, that's when things fall apart. And so, as a point of application, allow faithfulness to God to become your priority. Allow faithfulness to God to become your priority. That's faithfulness to all that God encompasses, all that He's commanded, all that He's stated, all that He's asked of us as the church, everything that follows suit. So practically, how do I do that? Here's a few ways that I encourage you. When you have a gut feeling that you need to help someone or bless someone, do it. Just do it. Don't hesitate that. If you are in a marriage where you feel like throwing your hands up and just being okay with the status quo, be the Christ-filled servant to your spouse. And I would say, surround yourself, as a second to that, surround yourself with godly, encouraging people who are going to walk with you. Don't do that alone. Okay? Don't do that by yourself. And as a side note to that, I know there's many who've already experienced the pain and the anguish of divorce. Can I just state that God does not look at you in some other way because of that? That because you've gone through something like that, God doesn't look at you and say, well, you're, you're shoot to the side. His promises, His presence, 
His perfection is the same for you as it is for every other one of us. Because God doesn't change. So root into Him. Okay? And pursue what He's called you to. Another way to practically allow faithfulness to God to become your priority. Sit down with your family this week and make a prayer list that focuses on those you know who are in need. And then prioritize time in your day to pray for them together. Practical way, especially you with young kids. This is something that my wife and I have loved doing with our kids. When we lay down at bed at night, instead of just saying that stapled prayer, we say, okay guys, every one of you needs to pick someone to pray for. And it can't be anyone in this house. Okay? Really simple way to get your kids and people in your home thinking about how do, how do we care for and pray for other people and think intentionally about this. Okay? Just make that a priority. Set that as a, something you can do. Search the scripture intently with a desire to understand how God responds to people, circumstances, sin, and injustice. And then set out to model that. Model his example of that. Not the cultures, not what someone else says you should do. Root into what God has already showed us to do. He's, he's modeled that consistently for a very long time. And he's the one who's remained faithful, not us. And lastly, just as verse, the end of verse 16 says, Guard yourself in your spirit and do not be faithless. Root into this church. This is immensely challenging. Don't allow the priority, the focus to become about you. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Focus back on what God has already promised. And allow Him to work and mold you into the church He's called us to be. Okay? I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. Would you stand with me? I'm going to close this in prayer. Heavenly Father, this is a challenge, and we desperately need you to not just be a part of our lives or a piece of it, but to be over our lives in a sense where we ask the right questions, but we don't just sit and soak up, but we actually live out and embody these truths. And so, Lord, as we sing this last song now, and we recognize the words of this song speak to you, establishing creation to being over everything that's around us, Lord, may we evaluate what it is in our lives that we need you to be over, specifically, that we have not allowed you to. Lord, may we prioritize that. May we walk together in faithfulness, rooted in the faithfulness that you have already shown us through your Son. We pray this all in Jesus' name.